0: Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, episode 69. This week's feature, if you like Dominion, try out these next step games. We'll also be talking about The Agents, Rumble in the House, Solo Gaming, and a ton of Kickstarters.
1: You're listening to a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, dedicated to bringing podcasters together for the greater good of gaming. It's sort
0: of like Voltron but with better lip-syncing. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com. Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast about board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. This is Anthony.
2: And this is Daniel.
0: Welcome to the episode, everybody. We're so glad to have you join us here this week. This week's feature is going to be, if you like Dominion, try dot dot dot. And the dot, dot, dot means the next level games. We want to talk to you about some great games that you should try out. If you've already kind of, you know, got your feel and, you know, mashed together all your decks over and over again and you just want to take Dominion to the next level, we're going to talk about three different categories that takes the greatness of Dominion and just brings it up to a new level. Also on this episode, we have a brand new feature for you. Solo gaming with Anthony. Anthony, why don't you take this because it's just you, solo gaming. So solo it. Yeah. All by myself.
1: Oh different tones. <laughs> I was trying to avoid that, guys. Now we have to pay royalties. <laughs> uh, think, I think
0: we're safe if we keep it under a certain number of words, so
1: Yeah, I think we're safe just because I doubt they're listening. But <laughs> Or if the
0: singing is that bad that they don't want to claim True. responsibility True. for it.
1: <laughs> okay, I was trying <laughs> is to be nice.
2: Protected use. <laughs> <laughs>
1: fair use we butchered it it's fine <laughs> all right so solo gaming with me anthony obviously i have the two children i'm home a lot and that means i have to find a new and exciting and well at least different maybe not exciting uh, way to get my gaming in um whether that's teaching a game to myself that i bought even though i may not be able to get it to the table or finding a game that's specifically solo So I'm going to start a new segment. We're going to talk about some solo games that I have that I've played, some games I've hacked into solo playing, um, and how to kind of set it up so you're actually having fun and you don't feel goofy playing a big, massive board game that's designed for four people by yourself.
0: All right. That sounds good. Obviously, we have our acquisition disorders are at the table. And, of course, to start everything off, we're going to talk about the news and we're going to shout it from the tabletop. Unfortunately, Drew's not here with us this week, As we mentioned last week, he was locked in a rondelle. Unfortunately, he still happens to be locked in that rondelle and is, you know, gaining speed. So we're hoping that at some point he will break the time and space barrier and join us in a future or past segment. So be sure to listen to past episodes so you can get Drew's up-to-date news in the past, which doesn't make much sense. But if you knew rondelles, you would understand. So with that said, on to the news. Shout it from the tabletops! <laughs> Sir, you're gonna need to get down from there. So in the news this week is the Dice Tower 2015 Awards. Unlike the Origin Awards, these nominees actually do make sense. We can definitely look at these nominees and get an idea of what we think should win these awards. The first category is obviously the biggest category, the 2014 nominee for Best Game of the Year. The nominees are Alchemist. Dead of Winter, Marvel Dice Masters, Avengers vs. X-Men, Five Tribes, Star Wars, Imperial Assault, Imperial Settlers, Kanban Automotive Revolution, Splendor, Star Realms, and
2: Zaya, The Legend of a Drift System. What do you think, guys? Couple of strong contenders in that list. I think just because of the amount of momentum it has right now, Dead of Winter is the number one seed in my mind but mm-hmm. i wouldn't be surprised by an upset it's there's yeah. some pretty close runs there there are a lot of strong games
1: here and everything i've played from this list i like um there's a couple games that i would put closer to the top from my perspective and who knows like when you throw in a collectible game like dice masters or an ip game like imperial assault like what kind of votes that's those are going to draw but um Yeah, there's a lot of good options here, and there's nothing completely random like the Origins list. (laughs) Why is Hopscotch on one of the nominees? (laughs) (laughs)
0: It's not even a board game. Uh, It's probably going to be Dead of Winter, although, I don't know. I I could see Imperial Assault kind of sneaking in there with all the Star Wars fever. Um, Imperial Settlers is a very good game. And uh, Splendor, obviously, we talked about that already. That has a lot of buzz. People are playing at the table. I don't know. I would really like to see Star Realms get some more recognition because they've done an outstanding job with their game. But it's a little bit of a small game to probably win best game of the year.
2: Yeah, I think Dead of Winter's threats are scattered and generally aren't going to pull together i think imperial assault would be the one to watch sure for an upset because it could have that strong fan base and it's also a similarly similarly substantial game i think splendor isn't going to be able to pull off an upset there because both of them have enormous momentum uh, and popular attention hmm. right now but it Splendor would just be punching above its weight class to go toe to toe with Dead of Winter. Dead of Winter is just a meatier, more substantial game, or so it seems to me. So I don't think it's going to look well in comparison. Then.
0: All right. So the next category is best co-op game. Okay. So uh, Dead of Winter, Legendary Encounters, an Alien deck building game, Pandemic: The Cure, Shadows of Brinstone City of the Ancients, and Witness. And we all know Dead of Winter is going to win. Any, 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 anybody, anybody, anybody? No, no, no. Dead of Winter. Me? Dead of Winter.
2: Yeah. yeah, I mean, they might, so you might not want to give Dead of Winter all of the awards, so maybe Dead of Winter <laughs> will lose one of these categories because it won others. Sure. So that might be a, a thing that happens, but... It's possible, but it if seems I'm like, like it
1: anybody, us. if anybody else is like me, Dead of Winter is the only game I've played from this list, so... <laughs> Fair enough. There you go.
0: All right, best board game components, something we talked about not too long ago about the best gaming gimmicks... In this category, we have Arcadia Quest, which has some really awesome miniatures. We have Cult Express, which has some really cool cardboard trains. Imperial Assault, which has the great miniatures and the Star Wars IP. Splendor obviously has those little poker chips. Zaya Legends of Adrift System has those individual ships and a lot of really nice tokens and things. What are you guys thinking?
2: Imperial Assault. Okay. You're, you're going to give people... Star Wars miniatures. That, yeah, that's, it's got to be that. It, what else? None of these seem to be in the same league as that. In fact, yeah, dude, you get like an eight-inch ATST with this thing. Like, yeah.
1: how could you not? And you get Darth Vader and a bunch of stormtrooper. It's yeah. My son keeps trying to play with it. I have to put it on the top <laughs> shelf of my board game uh, bookcase because he will take it out and try to play with the little figures, even though we've gotten him. Uh, action figures so and he wants to paint them which is not a good thing either Um, so you know fantasy flight did a good job if my son won't leave it alone and he thinks they're toys
0: there you go i i think i agree with that i think any other year these other games would have at least a shot at the win but not the year that the new star wars movie is coming out all right best family category and maybe this makes a little more sense the nominees are camel up diamonds King of New York, Splendor, and Spyfall. All
1: right. So Splendor's going to win okay? uh, probably, but I do like Diamonds a lot.
0: Okay. I'm going to go King of New York. I like these other games, but I think that King of New York just makes King of Tokyo a lot more fun. It's colorful. It plays with a lot of people. I think if you're playing a family game, it's typically a lot of people there.
2: Yeah. I guess I agree with both of you, at least halfway, and that I think Splendor's going to win... But I think King of New York should win.
0: All right. Next category is best game artwork. We have Abyss, Alchemist, The Battle of Five Armies, Star Wars Imperial Assault, and Imperial Settlers. Really bad cheer for Imperial Settlers to be out here. <laughs> bad name, bad time, guys.
2: <laughs> when I think about most of these games, the thing that defines Abyss to me is their artwork. Right? that's It may not be objectively better than the rest of their artwork, even, you know, discarding what worries about whether or not there are objective standards of artwork. Uh, but it may not actually be better or more technically proficient than these other games, but the way the game was pitched was there's this amazing art, uh, to the point that it's the first thing I thought of when you said that was, Oh yeah. Abyss.
1: Yeah. Abyss. All right. So Anthony, something for you on that? Yeah. I mean, I totally agree with you guys. Um, I love the artwork in Star Wars and Battle of Five Armies, but it's IP-based. I mean, you have something to start with, and you're just making your own cool version of that. And Imperial Settlers is cute and fun, but it's it's not... I mean, it is what I think of when I think of the game, but it is very cartoony. Abyss is just a whole other level.
0: All right, next category, Best Game Expansion. We have Seven Wonders Babble, Cyclades, Titans, Mice and Mystics, Downwood Tales, Terra Mystica, Fire and Ice, and Tuscany expand the world of viticulture. Daniel, Cyclades, like right? Right.
2: I'm actually. Right. I might. I'm leaning towards that, not because I like it, <laughs> but because it's a significant fix to a game that uh, a lot of people, including myself, didn't really enjoy. Uh, and it's supposed to fix some of the really troubling parts of that game very well. And by doing that, it does what a fanta- sort of fantastic job as an expansion, right? It really changes the gameplay. Whereas a lot of these other games already ran fine. In fact, ran so well that adding even a great expansion to it might go relatively unnoticed. So Cyclades probably should get it, in that it was the most desperately needed expansion of the list.
1: No idea which one of these I would pick. It's like three of my favorite games got expansions this year so it's a complete toss-up but very interested in all of these including the ones i haven't played tuscany though is kind of i mean i have not played tuscany uh yet but just the sheer volume of what it adds to viticulture is kind of mind-blowing on its own so yeah uh, bottom line there i don't have an opinion but i think these are all amazing yeah i think i'm gonna go with daniel's
0: reasoning here seven wonders Babel is excellent all the others add a lot more to the game but the Titans expansion fixes the game, and I think that's the best thing an expansion can do. All right. Our next category is Best Game Reprint. The nominees are Cash and Guns 2nd Edition, Doomtown Reloaded, Medina 2nd Edition, San Juan 2nd Edition, and Ticket to Ride 10th Anniversary.
2: San Juan. <laughs> yeah. San Juan. Come on. Yeah. That Like, the when I got into board gaming, I was like, well, I really want to get this game. I like, go, oh, you can't. But rumor has it that someday, in the far distant future, the Prophets will return and bring to us a new printing of San Juan. And it's It was a mythic foretelling that I don't know of any yeah. other game that's been so desperately uh, in need of reprint and so desperately anticipated for reprint as San Juan.
0: Yeah, I'm going to go along with that, too. As Daniel said, it was almost a legend and everybody was talking about, have you seen San Juan? Can you pick it up? Do you know where it is? Can I find it at a store? And it just, you couldn't find it for the life of you. And beyond the fact that it was reprinted, there was some additional cards and some additional mechanics to it. So it works a lot better. So yeah, it's my choice too. Anthony?
1: It's a tough one because if you're talking about like the quality of the reprint or what it adds to the game... Uh, it's a different conversation. Sure. Um, and ticket to ride, I feel like has to be discounted immediately because it wasn't out of print in the first place. Sure. Uh, it's more of a best special edition. That's a different yeah. conversation. So I'm a, I would kind of roll with San Juan too, even though I don't I don't think the game was completely overhauled or anything. It was just impossible to find. So the fact that it exists now is good enough for me. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I think that it won't be long that we'll have a super deluxe edition award category because games are just doing that more and more these days all right our next category is best gaming theme and the nominees alchemist castles of mad king ludwig dead of winter star wars imperial assault and legendary encounters and alien deck building game
2: I feel like anything based on an ip should automatically get discounted because it's not their theme right sure it's, they just they borrowed it from something else and Dead of Winter is a great game and very thematic, but it's not like zombie theme was innovative in mm-hmm. any way, right? It's, it's the best zombie game out there. So if they mean best thematic game, I might give it to Dead of Winter there. But if they want to know what the best theme is, I'm probably going to go with Castles of Mad King Ludwig. I think it's probably the most interesting theme to hit the market this year.
0: That's going to be my vote as well. The other games have kind of been there and done that, but we have yet to see a game that incorporates that tile placement, suburbia-esque type of world that Castles does. I mean, Carcassonne comes a little close to it, but it's very flat and bland, and playing the Castles of Mad King Ludwig is just fun and interesting and dynamic, and everyone loves it.
1: Yeah, I mean, for me, it's a toss-up between Castles and Dead of Winter, and I know Dead of Winter's theme is not new at all but it's i think we've talked about this before it's one of the few games that's ever actually evoked the theme for me effectively Mm. um of trying to survive against the zombie onslaught and what what would be involved in that in a group of people like you're not it's cooperative but it's never cooperative because we're humans and we all have our own base instincts and for me that kind of makes the theme in that Mm. game um you really feel it
0: good point
2: yeah, and that's why I was saying if it were if the category were most thematic games, I would probably give it a dead of winter without hesitation. But best theme is more ambiguous to me.
0: All right. Our next category is best new designer. And the nominees are Splendor, Heroes of Normandy, Paperback, Alchemist, and Zaya, The Legend of a Drift System. What do you think, guys?
2: Paperback?
0: Yeah. I mean, Paperback is such an interesting design. The other games are really cool, Alchemist, especially because it has the app included there. But the designer behind Paperback, Tim Fowers, just did something so wondrous, which is take Scrabble, which is just kind of a solid thing in the board gaming industry, and then found such a new and innovative way to play with it. And the artwork is great. The box is great. Everything's great about it. Everything is seems like it was thought out to such a level and a degree that, I don't know, I think he deserves that.
2: Yeah, And no time was wasted before engaging on other projects yes. too, right? I mean this is the guy he's involved with. Was it Burgle Brothers? Is yep, that his? That's yeah, So it. immediately another game that looks like it's going to be very good by the same designer – indicates that he's probably going to be a force to rec- be reckoned with in future years as well, that he's going to stick around and that he has a lot of uh, significant ideas to contribute to the gaming community.
0: Mm-hmm. Great. How about you, Anthony? Anything on that?
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's definitely... Um... It's very interesting what he's done. I know Walkstar, his first game, is something that a lot of people really like, even though it's hard to find. And Paperback is definitely an interesting game. Virgo Brothers looks amazing, too. Marc Andre, you know, with Splendor, I, you know, I know a lot of people, it's, it's hip to not necessarily... Uh, love this game just because it's got so much attention. But at the same time, it is the simplicity that he manages to build into this, or the simplicity of the mechanics that he manages to build into this somewhat complex game. Uh, there's enough strategy there, is It is interesting. Uh, and his newer his new game, Barony, um, same thing. Like He's out there working and he's got stuff coming out. It just looks interesting to me as well. Um, so it's a toss-up for me, but I definitely agree with you guys on Fowers.
0: All right. Now our next category, best party game. Nominees are Cash and Guns 2nd Edition, Spyfall, Good Cop, Bad Cop, Strike a Pose, and Cluster Fight. Now, I got a chance to actually see Strike a Pose played this year, and I gotta say, I'm not a fan of the charades type of mechanic, but the idea that a whole group of people kind of go off and freeze in kind of like a statue formation trying to depict a category or a theme or something like that it's actually pretty hilarious even from a distance watching this game it, it probably does that for me it really invokes that kind of party type of atmosphere everyone getting up and doing something silly
1: i have not actually played any of these yet so uh <laughs> i'm going to put a couple of these on my tip playlist and uh, hopefully be able to play some stuff before voting comes up but as of right now i would have to probably sit this one out I've heard many good things about all of these games, though, and I'm definitely intrigued to play them.
2: Yeah, I'm in the same boat as Anthony. I mean, guessing by the sheer number of times I've heard this name be mentioned in our awards guessing game, I would guess Cash and Guns, but I have no idea.
0: Yeah, I had a chance to play all of these, and they're all a lot of fun on different levels and different things. It's just for me. Strike a pose actually kind of embodies the idea of a party game. All right, our next category is best small publisher, and the nominees are Medieval Academy, Paperback Run Fight or Die, Star Realms, and once again, Zaya Legend of a Drift System. That game keeps fighting, man. It keeps keeps throwing some punches out there.
1: <laughs> uh, for me, I'm gonna go with Star Realms on this. Uh, it's a great game, and what they've put out is amazing. But even more impressive than that is kind of the little, um, the system they've built around this game. They have, you know, they've gotten it into so many places. You see it in almost all the stores now, even despite kind of that uh, drought last fall where it was so hard to find. They've already got expansions out. They've got. expansion packs you can buy little little five dollar packs they have the app which is so good and it's free so it gets people into the game like the sheer reach of this game after just a little over a year on the market is very impressive coming from such a small publisher so uh they have done an amazing job with this so much kudos to the star realms guys
2: uh yeah i'll second anthony's are we supposed to be drafting to do guru's idea because we're definitely not doing that anyway i'm seconding (laughs) anthony's idea we've been agreeing on most of these uh, but I think Anthony's probably hit the nail on the head there.
0: Yeah, I would agree with that, too. I, I love Paperback. Medieval Academy's excellent. Run Fight or Die is a good game. The Drift system is kind of a hodgepodge, but it's a fun hodgepodge. But as far as the category for Best Small Publisher, Star Realms has done absolutely everything right, and it's just been outstanding. And really the only thing that's held them back even a little bit is their outstanding success. Our next category... Best strategy game. And the nominees are Five Tribes, Imperial Settlers, Kanban, Automotive Revolution, Panamax, or once again, a Drift System game. You know that one? That drift system game? That thing? That system? That has a game? Guys? Guys, help me? No? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Best strategy games. What are you guys thinking? I know what Anthony's gonna pick. Im- yeah. Imperial Settlers.
1: Yeah, that's it's one of my favorite games from the last year, and i i've heard a lot of very good things about panamax and kanban in terms of strategy and how much how many brain cells you burn off trying to play through those games <laughs> but i have not yet gotten the chance to compare those three and i feel like imperial settlers might end up being a little lighter on the strategy side at least in terms of raw brain power required to play mm-hmm. but i definitely enjoy it quite a bit so well
0: i noticed you had that uh, ignasi uh tattoo across your chest so it's not a big surprise well yeah yeah well, it's better than going with Trevor Cech. I mean, that would have been really painful. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: and nobody could say it. <laughs> no one could. <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, this is a really good year for heavy Euro games. Kanban and Panamax absolutely positively deserve to be there. And, you know, I've brought some great stuff to the table. You know, once again, Legends of a Drift system, you know, it's there. I, I don't know. It almost deserves its own category. And its own award because it's done so many things right. It's just hard to put them in, put this game in a traditional game category. And Five Tribes, beyond the whole slave kind of mechanic, I don't know the Moncala system that's in there. It just there's just a lot of AP and 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 yeah, there's some strategy there for sure. But it seems like the deep strategy here is more heavy AP than it is strategy.
2: Yeah, I'm gonna think Imperial Settlers as well for reasons you guys pretty much covered okay well if, uh, if
0: you're definitely going with that anthony has a tattoo guy
2: Yeah, can we go we can we can all we can all match there you go i got a guy yeah. man i got a guy
0: <laughs> the next category is best two-player games and nominees are the battle of five armies marvel dice masters avengers versus x-men star wars imperial assault star realms and warhammer Forty Thousand conquest i know anthony has something to say about this he's our two-player guy
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I've played four of these games, and I like them all very, very much. Uh, I'm going to discount Star Wars Imperial Assault off the top, not because it's not a two-player game, but because it's not designed solely as a two-player game, uh, which is not really fair because the two-player component to this game is actually really, really good. Uh, it's just it's $100 for a two-player game. It's a bit of a stretch. You would never buy this solely for that. The core of the game is kind of that... Uh, Uh, descent style uh, 4v1 game the true two-player games here being the rest of them um, Star Realms is innovative and new and inexpensive and accessible Dice Masters is actually a very good game despite how hard it was to find for most of the year one I like quite a bit and it's very expandable and if you don't want to play competitively it's very very affordable to get into and Battle of the Five Armies is epic and much quicker than uh war of the ring i'm actually torn a little bit on this one between those three i'd probably go with dice masters in the middle uh just because of the expandability and the different variability of play but it's still accessible and affordable to get into but i i don't know it almost depends on which game i end up playing more of in the next couple months and which direction i'm gonna go because those are all very very good two-player experiences
2: yeah i honestly don't play two-player games very often, so I don't I don't know that I have anything to say here except for I'll just assume that Anthony's going to be right because <laughs> it's kind of his thing. All right, well, here comes the twist. He's wrong! Battle of
0: Five Armies! Now, the reason for this, Marvel Dice Masters obviously is a very good two-player game. The problem with this, I think, is the collectability component to it. I think it's asking a lot of people to... Collect enough boosters or the even number of boosters or split your dice amongst mo- a number of people, and I think that kind of slows it down. Warhammer 40,000 Conquest, I find that it's hilarious. That's here, uh, it's just not a good system. Star Realms is really nice, and Imperial Salt is nice. But if I'm going to sit down with a two player game, then I really want to sit down with a solid, long, fun, interesting, dynamic game, and not just I hit you, you hit me, I hit you, and that's the end of the game. I really want to play a game that I can invest in. And I think that's one of the great things about two-player games is you finally have the time to invest into a game against an opponent. And Battle of Five Armies gives you so much depth that uh, if there's ever a two-player situation popping up, I'm going to grab Battle of Five Armies. And the final category is most innovative game. The categories are Alchemist, Dead of Winter, Gollum Arcana, Tragedy Looper, and Spyfall. Anthony, what do you think about this?
1: Uh, This is an easy one. Uh, Tragedy Looper is mind-bendingly strange, unlike anything you'll ever play. Whether you like it or not is irrelevant. We're talking (laughs) innovation. Yes. This game is far and away unique, and it manages to capture what time travel should be like in a game. Everything else here innovates in its own small way, but builds on a lot of other components of existing systems tragedy looper is it's just out there (laughs) i don't even know how to describe it i know a lot of people have tried and i don't think anybody's really captured it fully what the experience of this game is yet yeah
0: i would agree with that too tragedy looper does something different it does it well spyfall is i guess a fun game i've played it it's interesting but i can't imagine anyone thinking it's innovative
2: yeah i I think it's pretty much gotta go to tragedy looper the next one in line for me would be again dead of winter which first of all it could be disqualified for having won too many categories at this point uh at least <laughs> by our vote and it you know it is very innovative in the sense that it's producing a new system that they're going to use a lot to make a whole sort of genre of games and it's been very effective at eliciting the kind of environment it aims to elicit and the feelings it aims to elicit from the players but as you said and the tragedy looper is just crazy yes and not necessarily in a bad way it's very strange and that is often synonymous with innovative in a good
1: way yeah and if i feel like you know the first time you play it you're like what but you get it out a couple times play with the same group a couple times uh you get to the point where it's like wow um, I'm hoping we can get this one out eventually in some kind of campaign level, or at least a couple plays, so we could put a review together for everybody. But man, this is a this is a crazy game. Just reading the rule book is an experience. So that's the categories for the Dice Tower
0: Awards for 2015. Stay with us as the weeks come on, and we'll keep talking about that. We'll drag Drew in and see what he thinks. And then, of course, we'll announce the winners when they're announced by our fearless leader, Tom. The I Give Decent Awards to Decent Games vassal, unlike the Origin Awards, which is randomly picked out of a hat by a blind man in a dark room for some reason. <sighs> Origins Awards, that makes no sense. <laughs> <laughs> if only Tragedy Looper could go back and change those games. Yeah. That's the origin awards is the real tragedy. <laughs> and that's everything from Shatter From the Tabletop. Now on to our acquisition disorders. And now our Acquisition Disorders acquisition to source that's crazy only needs the base game nothing else but the base game the base game and the expansion see nothing else just the base game and the expansion and the promos the base game the expansion and the promos and of course the upgraded components why wouldn't you have the upgraded components so the base game the expansion the promos and the upgraded components see that's not too much but
1: maybe I don't know maybe you might need the expansion. all right so this game actually apparently was on the radar a few months ago there was a prototype floating around there were some pictures on board game geek once I started looking for it I found all this old information about it so i was a little out of the loop but uh, it was just officially announced as something that would be available roughly this summer august-ish which usually means gen con so here's hoping because i will definitely pick up a copy it's called discoveries the journals of lewis and clark it's basically lewis and clark the dice game it's a thematic sequel to lewis and clark but the mechanics are very different presumably in much the same way that a lot of these dice games kind of you know mix up the mechanics by streamlining the game a little bit adding a little bit of extra uh, randomness to it the artwork's very similar though if not exactly the same so it's got the same kind of thematics and look to it and the goal is roughly the same so the game kind of fits into that lewis and clark universe that was created in, in the first game which i really really liked and it's using a completely different mechanic dice which i also really really like and i'm hoping 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 when you bring the two together that it actually works um obviously we need to play it we'll see if it works as well as something like roll for the galaxy which not only enhanced and grew on race for the galaxy but improved it in many ways or if it's you know just another dice game because the fad right now is dice games uh, i imagine we're going to find out very very soon but at the moment I'm very excited for this and hoping to get to play it at some point this summer
0: yeah i'm definitely looking forward to this dice game if it's anything like roll for the galaxy i'm definitely on board with that One of the games I'm definitely looking forward to is Castles of Mad King Ludwig Secrets. Now, this is the expansion for the base game. Now, the base game recently received the Mensa Select National Competition winner. It was chosen from a group of over 300 judges of their 56,000 members in a 44-hour gaming marathon. And Castles was one of the winners. And I also want to mention that Lanterns, a game that I mentioned last week, was also one of the winners as well. Now, Secrets adds a lot of interesting mechanics to an already great game. But in particular, what I really like about this game is that it's adding border tiles, kind of like in Suburbia. But these border tiles are actually the moats and the barbicans, these outer defenses, which actually makes it finally look like a castle instead of just a, a string of shapes. So... You'll get these borders, you'll get these moats, you'll get the outdoor rooms, you'll get some expansion tiles, you'll get swans, because Ludwig was known as the Swan King, so there's a number of swans that you'll be able to get that you can cash in as victory points at the end of the game, or use it to purchase new buildings, and it's just another fun, colorful expansion for an outstanding great game, and I am waiting... And as soon as this game comes out, I'm going to be picking this up because I've had so much fun with the base game, and I can't wait to make this game a little more thematic. Daniel, how about you?
2: So it's been a while since I've seen a role-playing game that I think is like genuinely genre-shaking. You know, the narrative-driven games of Apocalypse World have their own niche, right? And then you've got the Mouse Guard Burning Wheel-style games, and then you've got your D&D-style games – And it feels to me that most role-playing games do sort of coalesce into this relatively same-ish glob. Now, it's a glob that I really love to play around in, and I enjoy even the nuanced differences that are there. But short of games like Fiasco and a few others, there's rarely been something that's broken far from the roll dice. Did you win? Okay, you won. Alright, next. Here's a number. Roll a dice. Did you beat it? Yes, you beat it. Okay, you won. Next. Which is, you know, as all of us know, that's way more fun than it sounds. But it is still cool to see people putting twists on an old formula. Uh, And what has got me extremely excited right now is a game called Fall of Magic. Uh, And Fall of Magic is a narrative-heavy, story-heavy role-playing game. So much so that it might not entirely fit the traditional model of what a role-playing game is. And it seems better company with games like Winter Tales. Uh, It's a sort of cooperative storytelling event, would be, I think, the best way to put it. What makes Fall of Magic, though, so incredibly exciting is that the rulebook, well, maybe not the rulebook, but the prompts anyway, the story prompts, and the game map are on a canvas scroll. That is, they have silkscreen printed onto a canvas scroll a series of locations and paths with story prompts, event prompts, and the like that you will navigate through as you explore the world, trying to get back to the birthplace of magic to prevent it from dying off. It's hard to express exactly how cool this idea is without having you take a look at the site, so I really do suggest you take a look. Uh, Having this sort of screen printed canvas scroll though is just such and having this sort of screen printed canvas roll though is such a break from the normal such an unusual way of going about things uh, that i just can't help but be fascinated with this game the art is very attractive and looking at the gameplay it seems to me to capture a lot of what i think is the very best elements from role-playing game, which is this sort of free-form narrative play. Or maybe not entirely free-form, but flexible narrative play. Now, there are going to be some things you might not like about this, so if you really don't like the narratively driven version of role-playing games, stay away. That's not... This is not for you, right? This is meant for people who like the story, and possibly like the story more than winning the game, right? This is for the role-players, not the uh, damage monkeys not the uh, rules lawyers. Uh, It's also only got a limited number of paths. So in that way, replayability might be limited. But remember that these prompts that they're going to be asking you to fill in are very open-ended. So there's one, for instance, that is when you arrive at the bridge, you're prompted with your face in the river and you tell a story that explains how your face got in the river and what that means and what happened. You either paint a picture of the scene or describe how your character dealt with it or dialogue, what have you. So I think it's actually going to be massively replayable because those prompts are so open-ended that it's almost guaranteed that when you break it out with a different group, they'll go in different directions. And I do think this is one of those games that would be really fun to take from group to group to group so you could see how different people made the story evolve, right? Because it has just enough constant that it has a sort of touchstone but there's enough open endedness that you can let people roll out the story in their own way. I'm gushing about this game because I'm super incredibly excited about it and working on scraping the money together right now. Uh, so, at risk of, you know, love of gun, rather than risking just rambling on for another hour about how awesome this game looks and how much you should be considering buying it, I'm just going to say, go take a look at the Kickstarter for Fall of Magic. It looks to me to be one of the most interesting and exciting things to happen to role-playing in years, uh, and I am eagerly awaiting its release. Uh, Also, the guys who are making this game, the Heart of the Deer and a Corn guys, which is such a cool and bizarre name, Heart of the Deer and a Corn, have been super responsive to comments as far as I know. Uh, I sent them a comment worried about the fact that they only had on their website listed that uh, all versions of the scroll would come with a leather binding, uh, which, you know, I'm a vegetarian, so I said, oh, is there any chance we could get a vegetarian version? I said, absolutely. And so they're going to throw that in as a backer option now. So if you've got a comment, let them know. They might uh, might be able to make it happen.
0: Well, that sounds great. It's really nice to see when designers are listening to their backers.
2: Yeah. Could- it's It is one of the most exciting things to happen, and these guys are really on top of it, I think. This is going to be Uh, An experience that you will kick yourself for missing out.
0: And now our crowdfunding update with Kickin' the Habit. All right, now let's talk about some Kickstarter. Daniel, why don't you take it away?
2: All right, well, there's a lot of really exciting things happening on Kickstarter right now, at least exciting for me. The, f- the first two bits are that two, well, one's a game and one's sort of a game paraphernalia or game-adjacent uh, campaigns that I've been interested in in the past that did not succeed or had ran into some troubles have relaunched. first of these is Rive by Slinging D6s, and uh, those of you who pay a whole lot of attention to us and what's on the website and that sort of thing might recognize this as a game I reviewed or rather previewed in detail in my brief tenure at the chair of Kicking the Habit before Chris took the the burden away from me and did far better with it than I could have. It's a really interesting hex-based placement-driven strategy game. And I had a ton of fun playing it. Uh, you can find my original preview of it on our website, on the boardgamersanonymous.com. And I do want to point out that they actually listened to our review and adjusted their rule set accordingly to make the game a little bit more balanced and a little more engaging and uh, they said they've really been you know very happy about the way it's turned out i think it's a game worth looking at it's a lot of fun not very hard to pick up at all uh, and really a nice change from what feels to me to be the standard in strategy gaming right now which is a very movement based tactical sort of game whereas this is about where your resources are initially and that is something that made it somewhat distinct to me, somewhat sort of stand out.
0: I covered this on episode 1 of Kick in the Habit and it was an interesting game because they really thought about what gamers like to do and it was a pretty complex hex battle game and it seems like with this new relaunch they really slim things down especially the rules. And I think that was the one thing that was keeping people away. When you look at a Kickstarter campaign and you start going through the rules or the rule book or whatever explanation they have, and it just – it starts bringing you down. And unfortunately, because a Kickstarter is a really kind of quick acquisition, it's got to be something that's simple and easy to understand so that you click the pledge button and not something that you have to sit with for about 20 minutes to try to figure it out. So this rule book looks better. It looks like better information, a lot tighter gameplay. So this campaign has a, a much better chance than the previous one, and I think they're getting there. I think they're getting to a place where this game will eventually hit store shelves.
2: Yeah, so I was really excited to hear they're bringing it back, because I do think it's a shame it didn't fund initially. Uh, and I'm glad to see that they've continued to work through their ideas, continued to improve the game. It really is very promising.
0: Yeah, I think that's the hard thing about game design, which we don't really understand, not being game designers ourselves, is when you create a game, you fall in love with it, and you want have all these different aspects to it. We know this from really multiple board game rule books. It's just the designers don't understand that we don't have the concept of their game in our heads. So this rule of explanation is just a little too heavy. Sometimes you have to slim it down, make it simple, and if the game does well, you can always bring out expansions later.
2: So the other very exciting relaunch for me is Battle Bards was actually mid-campaign when they decided to relaunch. And you might remember me talking about this a few episodes ago. What BattleBards is, is premium quality audio for use at your campaign table. That is really good quality sound effects. And I talked about how I like the idea of being able to have these sort of iconic sounds that are still somewhat ambiguous, right? Is that flapping wing- wings or is that the flap of a sail? Right? You don't know. Uh, and, and if you don't have these sort of sound effects, you're either stuck with trying to make them with your mouth. And then your players always complain that how could they ever have thought that, that sounded like wings uh, when how could they have known that there was a dragon coming, right? That was totally unfair, DM, gosh. <laughs> or you just have to tell them what it is, which eliminates a lot of the sort of mystery you can have and a lot of the tension you can have in these sort of games. And so BattleBards gives you a really good way to build a sort of auditory ambiance combining musical scores, background sounds, specific sound effects. I mean, they've got really detailed stuff like arrow hitting chainmail, arrows hitting chainmail, arrow hitting plate mail, arrows hitting plate mail. Uh, And they really break it down very well. So any, any sound you want there, they have. Now, the reason they decided to relaunch is their original model was a subscription model and apparently didn't go over too well with the sort of interested crowd which i can understand it was sort of a weird way to deal audio uh so now what they have is a downloads model you pay for downloads uh, which is something i think we're a bit more familiar with and a little bit more comfortable uh, so i definitely recommend you take a look at BattleBards. Uh, if you looked at it before and were turned off by the subscription model they fixed that problem it's now pure downloads uh, and i do think it's a very valuable asset for anyone who dms frequently
1: pretty cool looking i mean they uh already i mean i think almost instantly they funded and i know that uh ken who had sent me an email um with the campaign had said they had a lot of people asking for this type of model so when they relaunched it it was like boom done so it's good to see them succeeding because it is a pretty cool looking product so i can get rid of my coconuts when i when i when the horse
0: travels
2: well i don't know if we can ever really get rid of our coconuts chris that's Uh, you always got to keep the coconuts come on
0: okay Uh, Uh, as long as we can keep the coconuts i'm fine
2: Fair enough.
0: And now, at the table with BGA. So, our at the table this week, we had two really interesting games. The first game that I'm going to talk about is Rumble in the House. Now, this was a game that Anthony and I had a chance to play way, way, way back at PAX East 2014. Now, It's a very simple game, and I actually picked this game up on sale at our wonderful favorite time of the year, the Barnes & Noble 50% off sale. I thought this would be a great game because Anthony and I really enjoyed it. It was a really quick kind of game, and I'll talk a little bit about it, but I thought it would be a great game for the family. Now, in this game, you're going to get a number of different rooms, like these little room tiles, and you can set up the room any way you want. The tiles are double-sided and has some interesting little cartoony artwork to it. And then you're going to randomly place all of these characters. Now, once again, it's got this cartoony artwork, and there's a robot maid, and there's a giant gorilla, and there's kind of like, there's a penguin with dynamite, don't ask, there's just penguin dynamite, and that's a thing. You're going to place these characters, one in each room, and then you're going to be given two secret characters, and the object of the game is to have your characters last as long as possible in the house. So, when the game starts, a player can move a character into another room, or if there are two characters in that room, they could knock one of those characters out of the room. Now, as characters get knocked out, they'll be able to score, let's say at the start, zero, zero, and then one, two, three, four, five. So, the longer your characters stay in the game, the more points that they score. And you can move any character you want because it's all hidden, no one knows what you have. And you just want to safeguard your characters. It's a very light, it's a very simple game. I thought it would be perfect for my family. My family was like, that was nice, but that was really, really too simple. And I was like, I did it. They're upgraded out of gateway games. We can actually play real games now. So uh, that was a nice thing to see. I'm still really glad to have this game, Rumble in the House, because it's, you know, it's a light, kind of fun, party, quick game. It plays from three to six players. There's also Rumble in the Dungeon, which is the identical game, but just different artwork for the characters in the rooms. And there's a little treasure chest, which if you get out of the dungeon with the treasure chest, you get to get first place. But you can actually put both of these games together, and I assume you can play up to 12 people, which is fun because it's so quick, it's so light, it's so simple, it's actually a, a good, fun, quick time. And it's, it's a fairly inexpensive game. I think it's about, you know, $12 to $15.
1: Anthony, you remember when we played this, right? Yeah, it was a lot of fun. When we were scouring the convention floor, we were looking for like new stuff, exciting new stuff. And uh, the guy at the yellow booth was, you know, like, oh, this is a fun game. You know, we definitely want to try this one out. And I'd seen it a dozen times before. So I was like, okay, I guess. I guess I'll play the game that's slightly not new. Um, <laughs> but we had a lot of fun. I think we actually played it twice. Yeah,
0: Um, this game had been out way back in 2011 with Flatline Games. That was the version I got, but you can pick this up, as Anthony said, with the new ILO version.
1: Yeah, so that was a lot of fun, and it's honestly, it's a game that I would love to pick up, too. I haven't, for reasons of other games being awesome as well, um, and budget being limited. But it's a great game, and uh, it's fun and quick and easy to teach, and I could see it going well with the family, even if they are jaded to the the... (laughs) (laughs) gateway games at this point it's true
0: alright Daniel uh, tell everybody about the game we got a chance to play together this week
2: Uh, so this week Chris and I got together and we got a chance to play a game which is rapidly becoming a rarity for us these days but it was really nice that we got to sit down and we played a game called The Agents now The Agents is a pretty small very quick playing game where you play as warring factions of secret agents sort of that is, you build these mixed factions between multiple players. Uh, so if it's two players, you share two factions with one another. If it's three players, you share with one faction with the person on your left, one faction with the person on your right. And you're trying to get enough victory points, called IPs in this game, to win the game. Uh, and there are a number of different ways you generate victory points. There's uh, sort of turn-based generation based upon the way that uh, certain agent cards are facing. Uh, so they, all the agents have two sides to them, two faces to them essentially. One side which is an arrow, one side which is a sort of effect if they're normal agents, or one side that is uh, just an IP chip symbol. Uh, and the other side is an effect if they're what's called free agents. I'll get into that distinction in a minute. Uh, but if the regular agents are have the arrow facing you, you accrue points every turn. If they have their effects facing you, you may use your action to that, cue that effect. Now, one of the th- cool things about this is that when you make the decision of placing that agent, you have to decide for yourself. Do you want to take the ability and give your opponent points? Or take the points and give your opponent the ability? And making the wrong decision there can sink you. Now, free agents work much in the same way as these standard agents, except that they're sort of one-time use, and as soon as you play them, they disappear, and either you get immediate victory points added to your pool, or you get to use their effect, which is usually a pretty significant effect. You can also have these things called missions, which require you to have fulfilled certain sets of criteria, uh, certain uh, circumstances in the different factions that you have control over. And if you have those fulfilled, then you gain points every turn from the mission. Uh, It's a very simple game, very quick to play. Kind of aggressive, but not in a bad way. Uh, And I thought it was quite a lot of fun. There were a few points where we had to hit the internet because the rulebook didn't seem to be making sense anymore with some of the specific cards. But it didn't take too long to figure out what we thought it meant. Uh, Chris, what do you think?
0: This was a really interesting game. I picked this up at Dreamation 2015 at the auction. I, I remember seeing this on Kickstarter, and I kind of went back and forth on it. The artwork is really interesting. I, I don't know. Daniel, how would you describe that type of artwork? Is there a way to describe it?
2: Uh, it struck me as mid to early 90s action comic style. Not action comics, but like action-oriented comics like when okay. you read comic books about like soldiers and that sort of thing which is what they were shooting for i think this sort of not quite pulpy but um a certain noir but yet at the same time a certain anime feel to it almost like an well it's like the espionage sort of comics right where sure. they have the uh the, the secret agent teams i mean obviously this is clear reason why this was connected there sure right but you know where they have these comics, not usually with superhumans in them, but but it's sort of early 90s action comics.
0: Yeah, the scheme it's interesting. So when I saw this on Kickstarter, I liked it. I kept going back and forth to it, especially the really interesting quality of the cards. It has this plastic type of material, almost like a regular deck of playing cards, which is nice because you don't have to sleeve them. And since you are handling them a lot, you're spinning them, you're flipping them. If they get shot, you're moving them back and forth to different safe houses. So they're getting a lot of play. So it's nice to know that these cards will actually hold up to that type of play. And there's a lot of interesting decisions. So you have a safe house, your opponents have safe houses. And depending on where you place the agents in that safe house, they're either going to score you points, it could score them points, it could give them an ability, gives you an ability. I mean, there's a little bit of an AP because the the every action you're taking when you place an agent is helping the other player, and you can't avoid that. It, it's so counterintuitive to think about, I'm putting a card that's actually helping my opponent win, and it's a really good ability. It's not really even a wasted ability. In order to kind of... Put down a card where it's not going to help your opponent. You really got to think in advance. And another interesting aspect about this game is the victory points is also the currency in this game too. So if you want to buy a lot of agents, you can do so. But it's going to cost you victory points. And at first the game's a little bit slow to start up. But towards the end of the game, it's really it's really speeding up. And you're scoring points every round. And each agent has a lot of different abilities. And as Daniel said, that means you have to look at the rulebook a lot because... I don't think that they covered all the special action words, but the game is very fun, very fast, and it's a very fast-playing game. There's a lot of interesting decisions to make, and it's a game that I'm glad that I picked up, and I look forward to playing more games with this. It's a little bit random as far as which agents you get and how you're able to kind of play them tactically, but overall, uh, it's a pretty good game, and I definitely recommend this for a buy. All right, so that's everything for At The Table. But we still have a solo gaming segment with Anthony.
1: Hey guys, got an awesome new game. Uh, you want to try it out? Guys? Guys? Hey everybody, uh, this is Anthony and welcome to the first of hopefully many segments um, talking about solo games. I've been posting about this stuff for a little while on Twitter, on Facebook, on a few different places and I know I've gotten a lot of good positive response. So I know there's other gamers out there with kids and a busy job and a billion things going on that you you want to play games, but you're stuck at home and you end up playing by yourself um, and it's not it's not sad there's nothing wrong with it. it's a lot of fun it's a good hobby uh, and it's something that I've actually come to enjoy. Quite significantly, and especially as I started to realize how many people out there do it and how many different options there are. So, I'm gonna be doing this segment regularly, and we're gonna be talking about different types of solo games, different types of solo gaming experiences, and how solo gaming can make you a better gamer in general, but also help you appreciate the hobby as a whole. All right, so this first little mini episode, uh, I wanted to talk about four tips for getting started with solo gaming. This is the things that I've realized helped me get into solo gaming uh, back when I thought it, when I felt a little silly, to be honest. Um, Tip number one, the absolutely first thing you should do, and this is an easy one because you can find this anywhere, is to buy Friedman Freezes Friday. This is a solo deck building card game. It costs maybe $15 in a store. You can probably get it on Cool Stuff for $10. It's this brilliant little card game about. Uh, Robinson Crusoe trying to survive on this island. it It is very evocative of a much larger version of Robinson Crusoe. Um, but the bottom line is you almost always die, and there are multiple difficulty levels. So if you do win, uh, you can ramp up the difficulty and continue to die. Uh, I've played this game maybe 30, 40 times at this point. Um, I can play through it blindfolded, and it's different every time because it is a deck builder. Uh, there are a lot of different things going on there. Most of the cards are negative when you start, which is fun. Um, you have to kind of upgrade your deck by defeating various uh, beasts and monsters and penalties and all sorts of stuff throughout the game. And then you work your way up and eventually have to face off against these pirates with whatever deck you happen to have. If you can pull it off, it's amazing. It's a great feeling, and that's what any good co-op will feel like. And you're going to realize playing solo games that it's a lot like a co-op experience where you lose a lot. If you win too much, it's not very much fun, and when you do win, it feels great. So pick up Friday, play that one at least a few times, get a good feel for it. If you enjoy that experience, if you enjoy the challenge of Friday and feel good playing by yourself, then you'll want to continue, and there's going to be other solo gaming experiences out there that offer kind of the same thing for you. This is a good entry. It's very inexpensive. It's very easy to pick up. You can even probably print and play this one just because the cards are fairly simple, but... I would recommend picking it up because it is so low cost and easy to find. Um, That's step one. Step two is to check your current collection for any games with solo variants. A lot of games these days come with solo variants. They're not all great, um, but a lot of them are very good. One of my favorite games from 2014 ended up being Imperial Settlers, almost entirely because of its solo variant. Uh, It allowed me to play with my son, who's a little too young to play most of my games, Um, But he loved ferrying around all those little bits and pieces. The game had four different decks, so every time I played it was a little bit different because I'm only going to play as one. And while it wasn't super challenging, it's relatively easy to win, I still haven't gotten to the top score tier even after like 100 plays. So Imperial Settlers was definitely a favorite for me from last year, and I have a lot of other games that I I picked up that also had solo variants. Um, Lewis and Clark has a solo variant that's also very good. Um uh, there are games like Mage Knight, which a lot of people will reference as a top solo game. Caverna is another one I picked up last year with a solid solo variant. Uh, these are all games that can be played by yourself, either because the designer included a solo version or because it just scales from one up. Um, and any co-op game you own can probably be played solo. You just play with two or three decks and you're good to go. Pandemic's a great example. You play with two players, do it by yourself, and you can kind of take on that game all by yourself. All right? Um, So check your collection for solo variants. You don't have to go out and buy these games necessarily. You probably already own a few of them. Uh, Next up, go to some forums and connect with other solo gamers. Uh, the, The reason a lot of people avoid this experience and the reason that it's so hard to get into solo gaming is that you feel a little bit alone. Um... I started doing it because I couldn't get out to the gaming group that I usually went to as often uh, around the time my daughter was born. And it made it, I felt a little sad. Um, I'd rather be playing with my friends. But as I got online and started talking to people and hearing how they played and kind of the challenges they set for themselves and kind of the mindset that goes with it, you know, imagine yourself playing a video game at home by yourself or reading a book or painting it's the same kind of experience, and I'm doing it in that same time. I still try to get out and socialize with people. I'm not sitting at home by myself. Instead of socializing, I'm just playing a game at home, and that's perfectly okay, and it's a lot of fun. Um, If you go onto these forums and you talk to all the other people playing the solo games, you can hear their stories and how they play them, and also how they're going out and having fun with gaming groups, too. So it's not It's not suddenly that you don't play games with other humans anymore. It's just that you also play them at home by yourself. And it's a really rewarding experience. It works the brain. It's much more engaging than a TV show. Although you can also watch TV at the same time. Um, And it's just a whole lot of fun. All right, and then tip number four, download some apps for your iPad. This is probably the easiest way to solo game, and I almost considered making this tip number one because it's so accessible to so many people. You can download uh, single-player versions of a lot of your favorite board games, um, Agricola, Lords of Waterdeep, um, a lot of those cryptozoic deck-building games, Penny Arcade, uh, Pandemic. There's a lot of games that are on the iOS and more coming out constantly. The reason I didn't make this tip number 1 is just because you can play iPad games anywhere and a lot of these games are not designed as solo games. They're designed to be played against other people and so you're playing against the AI, which is a little bit different. It's more like playing a video game. It's more it's not social necessarily, but it's more like a social experience. But Big caveat here, uh, if you pick up some of these games, it's a great way to get yourself into that mode of playing games when you're not in a gaming group or at the game store or with your friends. Um, it kind of brings that in as an experience somewhere, and it can still bend the brain a little bit as you try to figure out the rules. All right, so those are my four tips to get you into solo gaming. All of them very easy, all of them very inexpensive. You don't have to go out and spend $80 on a copy of Mage Knight or pick up any of these big, expensive games that can be turned into solo plays you can see what you already have and pick up a copy of friday grab your ipad if you have one and hop on the forums and talk to people about the kind of solo games you like and make sure you look me up there too i'm on board game geek but i'm also tweeting all the time from the bga podcast twitter account and i'm happy to talk about the solo games that are out there All right, so that's everything for this segment uh, of my solo gaming adventures. Um, Make sure to check back next time, and we're going to be talking about some more specific games that I like, as well as how we can turn existing games that maybe don't have solo variants into solo games, um, along with some really interesting movements in that area uh, that kind of got started by a recent Kickstarter. And now, BGA's feature review. Alright, so this week we are bringing back one of our most popular segments in the last few months, and that is the If You Like, Try... fill in the blanks. Uh, This week it is Dominion, the classic deck-building game, the first deck-building game, the one that started it all. Uh, This is a game that has so many expansions, they even thought they were done for a little while until they changed their mind, and now they have a brand new expansion out. Uh, This is... Any mechanic you've seen in a deck building game, anything you thought was new or exciting, they started it all many, many years ago. And uh, it's one of those games at the entry level is accessible and teachable to anybody. Um, the basic idea being that there's a tableau of cards, you build your deck, you buy the cards from the tableau, and you try to build up a nice stash of victory points. Um, of course, there are something like a dozen expansions at this point that add all sorts of exciting, interesting new mechanics to the game that uh, go well beyond that basic formula. But in the end, you're building your deck, you're managing your hand of cards, you're exploring this medieval setting, kind of building your own little uh, part of the city with your own deck there, and trying to outwit your opponents um, by building the better deck. So what we wanted to do is take a look at some of the stuff that makes Dominion unique, that makes it so iconic in the hobby, and uh, give you recommendations for some games that also have those uh, characteristics and build on them to some degree. So we're going to talk about deck building components um, and games that utilize deck building to a new or exciting or different level for that next step beyond Dominion. We're going to talk about that medieval setting and how to kind of explore that setting further, but in a different kinds of games. And then we're going to talk about hand management and games that really force you to think about the cards in your hands and how to use them and when to use them and how to play them to best take advantage of the system in place so you know to get started here we'll get rolling and who wants to go first
2: uh you know what, why don't i start us off since i've got some deck builders lined up that i think people will like if they've liked dominion uh and you know so i should mention you know if you're not exactly sure what the deck building mechanic is the deck building mechanic is this sort of you you gain cards from a pool you build either a deck or a hand that is your own private resource pool of cards you draw from, and then you use the hands you draw to play in the game. Right. Uh, And so that's the specific element of Dominion that we're going to be focusing on here. Uh, For me, the first deck builder I think of whenever I think of deck builders is actually not Dominion, which is a little bit of a sin because Dominion is, as Anthony pointed out, kind of the paradigmatic deck builder. But for me, it is the DC Deck Builder and its variants. I feel a little awkward calling DC Deck Builder a next step from anywhere because it is a fine entry-level game by itself. And in fact, at least in its base form, maybe simpler than Dominion. But I do find it more entertaining and more attractive. Uh, So you might think about my recommendation here for DC Deck Builder being less a next step and more a side step. Uh, to what I think is a more appealing type of deck builder, uh, which is one that is vibrantly colored and excitingly themed, and there's superheroes running around all over the place, and it's crazy. Uh, So that's one to keep in mind, DC Deck Builder and all of its variations. And with an additional note that you can substitute DC Deck Builder for any Cryptozoic Deck Builder, which includes the Naruto Deck Builder, which includes the Street Fighter Deck Builder, uh, and they'll all allow you to have a slight twist on the deck-building mechanic while retaining the sort of simplicity that makes Dominion and end games like it uh, so appealing as learning games. Uh, a next step up, a slightly more complex deck-builder is going to be Thunderstone Advanced, and Thunderstone Advanced is going to be a great deck-builder for anyone who likes this sort of high-fantasy, sword and board, kick down the door to the dungeon, dungeon crawl style D&D. Because it's pretty much that with cards. So when you play Thunderstone Advanced, what you're doing is you are pulling together a bunch of allies and resources and magical abilities to storm the dungeons, hunt down the big baddies, and win the day, returning triumphantly as heroes to your home village. Mm. So Thunderstone Advanced is... Uh, the deck builder for DD players it's DD as a deck builder so that's my second suggestion for people who want to add on to the deck building theme uh, now the last one i've had a complicated relationship with this game but it is a fun game and it does bring deck building to a different sort of place dc deck builder and thunderstone advanced are both kind of fighty deck builders. You're building up essentially military resources to beat down the bad guys or what have you. This game, however, is about building a team of capable people to win essentially a race. And this is Lewis and Clark. Now, Lewis and Clark is a very well-respected game. And I, you know, again, I mentioned I have had my complicated relationship with it. But it is Sacagawea. a good game. Sacagawea! Ah! <laughs> uh, it is a fine game, though. It really is a lot of fun when you get over the fact that people harassed you online for something you said about it. Now, totally fair comments. Uh, everyone was very nice, actually. It is a deck building game where you gather people to work together as you uh, try to find your way to the West Coast before anybody else uh, and try to be the, the ones to plant your flag at the end of the race. It's a little bit more complicated than at least DC Deck Builder and Thunderstone Advanced, I think, uh, because the number of resources you have to manage is radically greater uh, than in those games. Uh, And the way that you cycle through your deck is a bit more complicated, and the way that your deck can bite you if you handle it wrong is very interesting, right? So if you rest at the wrong periods in time, you're going to go backwards, That is, if you handle or manage your deck incorrectly, you're going to go backwards. Uh, So Lewis and Clark is not only a deck builder game in the way that DC Deck Builder and Thunderstone Advanced are sort of very pure deck builders. Lewis and Clark borders on the hand management aspect of Dominion as well, uh, and that's something that Anthony's going to talk a bit more about in a few minutes. But it's another great game to keep in mind if what you like about Dominion is the deck building aspect. So those are my three recommendations. Uh, How about you, Chris? Well, when I'm looking at Dominion, obviously it's about the deck building, but there is
0: somewhat of a thin medieval theme on the cards and it does get a little bit heavier as the expansions go on and with the new artwork, it you know, it kind of gives a little bit of a feel for a medieval village that you're controlling and you're picking up different abilities and different people to help you out in order to take control. So what I wanted to bring was three games that gives you a little bit more depth into the medieval type of village building and world creation. So the first game is Citadels. Now, Citadels is a game that we all love very much and it's a simple but a very interesting and complex game in that you're choosing role cards. So just like in Dominion where you're picking up certain character cards to add to your deck. And at the start of this game, you are actually will be drafting a role that plays throughout the game. But you'll also have a hand of cards that will build your Citadel. So you'll have different buildings that will have special abilities if you got lucky enough to pick up one of those purple buildings just like a Dominion. So when you play those cards, it'll activate a certain ability that will help you throughout the game. So Citadels has outstanding artwork. I would argue has better artwork than Dominion. And when you have that little bit of a tableau in front of you, you really do feel like you're in this medieval Citadel and all these people living here with these different locations and special abilities. So that game is a lot of fun. The next game I want to talk about is Kingsburg. Now, Kingsburg is a work, worker placement in the dice kind of placement way, where you're rolling dice to start your round. And then you're going to take your dice and place the effects or your influence on certain different medieval characters. So you have your king and your queen, and your princess, and then some various other medieval stereotype genres in there. And those will activate and give you resources. So, like Dominion, based upon what cards you play, here it's what players you affect. You'll be able to activate buildings as part of your tableau. And those buildings will give you additional special effects. So, it's fun because you like that idea of, you know, interacting with those people from that age and those buildings from that age. And fighting and and protecting your kingdom in that age. So... Kingsburg gives you a lot of feel and still a very light kind of next step level. And the final game I want to talk about, and the game I think that does a really great job when it comes down to the cards and that medieval thing, is Dominaire. Now, Dominaire is part of the Tempest universe of games. So any of the Tempest games, like Love Letter, has this kind of theme. Now, this is a little bit later, not your early medieval Middle Ages, but... In Dominaire, you'll be selecting cards. Once again, it has a bit of this deck-building-slash-drafting mechanic where you're pulling cards together, and depending on when you play the cards, they'll activate special abilities, and then you'll be able to influence all of these different capital buildings or the church or the canals, which will also, then again, score you some additional abilities. So, once again, just like Dominaire... Special people with special abilities, special buildings with special abilities, beautiful artwork, and I really think that it really has that feel. So in all, if you want to try games that have that medieval theme and take it to the next level, try out Citadels, Kingsburg, especially with the expansion, and Dominaire, and it'll really bring you into that medieval world.
1: Anthony, what about you? All right, so I wanted to talk a little bit about hand management. Um It's kind of a vague phrase, uh, description of games talking about the cards in your hand and how you utilize them in whatever certain order you need to use them. Um, I actually almost picked Lewis and Clark for this and then I saw Daniel had it on his list and I was like, perfect, now I can pick another game. Um, (laughs) But Lewis and Clark is a perfect example because while it has some deck building elements, it's very much, you have to know when to play those cards and how to use them for resources or for their benefit or however you want to put them out. The whole idea here is games that maybe you have five or six cards in your hand. In the case of Dominion, it's usually five unless you have some special cards. And you can't just throw them down in whatever order you need to. There's a certain order to it. There's a certain value to it. Some cards represent currency. Other cards represent victory points. Other cards still are harmful to you. How do you manage that and make sure that the optimal solution, the optimal result comes out of those cards as you play them? So there's a few different games that i thought really fit the bill here really well one that's you know it's not really a lot like dominion but it kind of has a lot of the elements in terms of hand management is really the whole category of uh living card games from uh, fantasy flight the most of these games are two-player um i think all of them really are designed as two-player games but each of them has kind of a closed system so I tend to think of them more along the lines of it is the deck building matters a lot, but then again, at the same time, how you manage the cards in your hand once you draw them matters even more. Um, Otherwise, all your deck building is worthless. The Lord of the Rings card game is a great example, especially in that, you know, cooperative, even the solo play mode. Incredibly, incredibly difficult unless you play the cards in the right order and have the right combination of cards in there. The You know, the necessity of looking at which monsters are coming up next or who's coming down the pike or what specific quests requires you to do, who to sacrifice, if anybody, when to sacrifice them, uh, what's in your hand versus what's on the table, what you can replace at any point in time. These are all factors that really come into play with every turn of the game. And you have to really manage what's in your hand to to make that a reality. Uh, Another game that I really, really like a lot, despite the fact that there's a new game out there that kind of supplants it in a lot of ways at least for some people is race for the galaxy with race for the galaxy at any point in time you have a fairly limited number of choices for how you use the cards in your hand because a lot of them represent currency at the same time as particular you know things you can do or actions or you know abilities to build new uh planets or developments on the board the there's a lot of management here in terms of how you use those cards when you decide to play a card when you decide to build something when you decide to hold back you're going to build up your cards and have enough currency for something big are you going to wait are you going to rush you know the sooner that somebody gets to 12 the sooner the game is over there's a lot of factors to keep in mind there and obviously there's an element of luck too so knowing what's in the deck or what's possible that might pop up next will have another impact on the game a lot of different expansions here too that add other wrinkles to the hand management implications of this particular game it's one of the more unique aspects of the game. And once you get past all the iconography that can really bog down learning it, it's a bit of a brain burner, but at the same time, it's a fun puzzle to solve, which for me is a lot of what makes Dominion so fun is that it's it can be brain burning to try to figure out how to play everything in the right order and how to chain it all together, but it's a fun puzzle to solve. And once you master it, especially if you're playing against other people who've also mastered it, lots and lots of fun. Uh, one last game I wanted to mention here that we've talked about a few times recently, and it's relatively new, is Concordia. Concordia takes a lot of different elements from a lot of different games. You are buying new cards, you are building a deck to some degree, but unlike a deck builder where you would play the cards, discard them, and eventually shuffle out that deck, you can play, you put cards into your hand and you can play them whenever you want after they've been purchased. And at any point in time, you can reset what's in your hand Uh, by playing that specific card and start from scratch and have all those cards you've already played back at your disposal. So you're building up a larger pool of cards, but it's your choice when to shuffle and it's your choice when to use them. So it's, it's almost the ultimate hand management card because each of these cards can only be used once before it goes to discard. But if you buy another one or you chain them together properly, you have a lot of options and you can kind of keep going with it. So every action in this game is interlinked very carefully, uh, which makes it such a unique game, but it really turns that deck building component on its head and makes it much more about how you manage your hand than how you manage the deck, which is one of those things that I think really, really takes that uh, mechanic to the next level and makes Concordia such an awesome game. That's another one where if you beat it, if you figure it out, you feel like you've solved this massive puzzle. Heck, it's a game where you might not even realize you've won until until the end, and then you feel even smarter. But that's kind of one thing all these games have in common. If you get the right chain, if you figure it out, if you put the cards out in the right order, uh, they make you feel really good because you kind of solve that little bit of a puzzle there. And uh, one of the main things about Dominion that I've always liked. All right, so there you have it. You have uh, nine games the, covering three different mechanics or themes that all have a little bit of, in common with Dominion and are good next steps or expansions on that game if you really like it and want to try something new or want to bring people into new and different types of games in your gaming group. Um, Dominion's a true classic. It has so many ways to play, so many options. But at the end of the day, there's so many great games out there. So why not find one or two of the things you really like about it and explore and try out new games? That's what it's all about. So that is our feature this week. Uh, If you like Dominion, try these nine games.
0: Alright, with that said, that's everything for this week. Please be sure to check us out on Facebook, Twitter, BoardGamersAnonymous.com, our guild on Board Game Geek, and if you think this episode is worth at least a dollar, please check out our Patreon account. We really could use your support. Until then, this is Chris. This is Anthony.
2: And this is Daniel.
0: And we'll be sure to save you a seat at the table as long as it's not with Anthony. Anthony's solo gaming right now, but he'll come back later and then he'll kind of game with the rest of us. But until then, we'll save you a seat with me and Daniel. Or Drew, if he ever gets out of that Rondell.